0: Carter G. Woodson um, founded Negro History Week in 1926 uh, and to take time out to study African-American history, um, dedicated, and in the 1970s, that evolved to Black History Month uh, writ large. And I believe it was in the 1980s that um, partnership between Asala and the White House um, made Black History Month an initiative for the United States government.
1: Hello, and welcome to the C-SPAN in the Classroom podcast. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by my colleagues, Craig and Pam. Each year since 1976, the President of the United States has declared February as Black History Month. This month-long celebration of African American history, culture, and contributions to American society was initially the brainchild of historian Carter G. Woodson. In 1925, Woodson and his organization, the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, proposed the first Negro History Week, which was held in February 1926, spanning the birthdays of both Frederick Douglass and Abraham Lincoln. In this episode, we'll explore the origins and growth of this annual holiday and just a few of the many accomplishments and contributions of black Americans— using clips from the C-SPAN Video Library and educational materials from C-SPAN Classroom. Resources that you can use in your classroom throughout the entire month of February.
4: Well, thanks for joining us today. In the introductory clip to today's podcast, we heard from National Park Service Chief Historian Takaya Lowe as she discussed the origin of Black History Month and historian Carter G. Woodson. We'll start today's podcast by learning a little bit more about his background and how it impacted him throughout his life and studies. In this next clip, Michigan State University history professor Pero Degbovi explains why Dr. Carter G. Woodson is known as the quote-unquote father of black history, as well as how he disseminated information about African-American history throughout his career.
5: Carter G. Woodson is known as the father of black history, and he's known as the father of black history simply because he was a black history institution builder. He founded the Association for the Study of African-American Life and History in 1915. When he founded it, it was called the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. And it was an organization that was founded that ran parallel to the mainstream, white-run organizations in the historical profession that used to exclude African Americans. So it was founded in order to popularize and professionalize the study and dissemination of African American history.
0: How did he go about popularizing and making known the works of African Americans?
5: There are many different ways that Carter G. Woodson employed his Black History Movement as it was called. Number one, he made African American history accessible by publishing books through his Associated Publishers Incorporated that were aimed at various audiences, juveniles, folks with basic education. He also issued a journal called the Journal of Negro History founded in 1916, now known as the Journal of African American History. And he also had another magazine called the Negro History Bulletin. On top of that, he had a lecture bureau, a speaker series, conferences such as this. I would say that he employed every different avenue possible to create this popular movement for black history
0: tell me about Dr. Woodson the Man, uh, tell me about his background, his childhood, um, about his work uh, outside of perhaps promoting other uh, African-American historians.
5: Dr. Woodson the Man is quite a complex subject matter. He is a man of much debate and discussion, that is by historians. He was born to parents who were both former slaves, grew up struggling in the South. According to him, he didn't learn the basics of writing, rhythmic, and reading until he was much older. Um, Graduated from high school late, went to college late, worked in the coal mines. He lifted himself up from the bottom, quote unquote, and made it to the top. He was raised in poverty in many cases and struggled his life to become a Ph.D. Harvard recipient in history. He was the second African-American male after W.E.B. Du Bois to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard in history. Now, what I'll say in closing about Carter Woodson is that he never lost that core working-class background mentality when he entered into the academic world. He took that struggle to manifest in his academic struggles.
4: So here we are almost 100 years later and the movement to recognise the accomplishments and contributions of African-Americans has expanded from a weekly event during the time of Dr. Woodson to now a month of observance that's federally recognised in both the US and Canada as well as several other nations like Ireland and throughout the UK.
2: So in building on that, Zach, as you mentioned in the introduction, Carter G. Woodson chose the dates to recognize the contributions of African Americans to include the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two significant historical figures. To provide some context into why Frederick Douglass was influential in the movement to study African American history, we reached out to Dr. Connell McLaren with the National Park Service. Dr. McLaren is currently a program manager for the National Underground Railroad Network to Freedom Program and a former curator with the Frederick Douglass National Historic Site here in Washington, D.C. Let's listen to this clip to learn more about Frederick Douglass from him. Douglas
6: was one of this nation's outstanding freedom seekers whose words and ideas have inspired hope, change, and advocacy. His mantra was, I will unite with anybody to do right and nobody to do wrong. Therefore, he aligned himself with men and women of all colors to advocate for many reform movements, including the abolitionist movement, racism, sexism, capital punishment, and many other reform movements in this nation's history. Douglas devoted his life to serving others. It was a lifespan that began in 1818 and ended in 1895. Throughout his illustrious life, he became a freedom seeker, an Underground Railroad activist, a woman suffragist, and a civic patriotic citizen who used his pen and voice to advocate for freedom for everyone. Students of history must understand that Douglass's life coincided with many of the watershed moments in United States history. The abolitionist movement, the woman suffrage movement, the Underground Railroad, the Civil War and Reconstruction era. So then his life becomes a historical lens for teachers, and scholars to examine these periods with great clarity. Hence, they all learn so many lessons from Douglas and the times that he lived. He left the world a lasting legacy through his voice and pen and many forms of activism. His words pierced the American conscience, pointing out the undemocratic elements that ran through the political, social, and economic institutions in the United States during his lifetime. Over 50 years, Douglas delivered thousands of speeches. He penned several editorials and articles in his newspaper, the North Star, the Frederick Douglass Weekly, the Frederick Douglass Paper, the Frederick Douglass Monthly, and finally, the New National Era. Plus, Frederick Douglass found time to publish three autobiographies over the course of his life.
2: Listening to Professor Dagbovey and Dr. McLaren, you can see the correlation between Woodson and Douglas through their drive to advocate for change in the country. They offer a significant foundation for students to build upon, not just throughout the month of February, but on a continual basis as they learn about key figures and turning points and events that have occurred throughout our history and how they influence our times today.
6: One central lesson he teaches students today is how to channel the power of words instead of physical violence to achieve personal freedom, then and selfishly find time to advocate it for others. In 1892, three years before his death, Douglass summed up his life by saying, I too have suffered under slavery. I too have fought for liberty, justice and freedom and brotherhood and citizenship. As a result, students of today are privileged to examine Douglass's body of work to make sense of their own lives and construct their worldviews inside and outside of the classrooms. His life, his accomplishments, and most importantly, his words and ideas remain sources of inspiration for millions of people worldwide today.
1: We'd like to offer our sincere thanks to Dr. McLaren and the National Park Service for their participation in our podcast episode today and the work that they do year-round of uh, discussing and teaching about the history of Black History Month. And shifting gears slightly... Over the course of many decades, there have been a number of initiatives, bills, and resolutions taken to challenge the status quo and to forge a path of equality and opportunity for African Americans. The month of February is a time to recognize and celebrate not just influential historical figures such as W.E.B. Du Bois and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., But also those who sought success and made significant contributions to the country in a variety of other fields including economics education science and technology politics arts and literature music and of course sports just a few weeks ago my family was in town here in dc for the holidays we spent a few hours at the smithsonian's national museum of african-american history and culture as i mentioned in a previous episode this is one of my favorite locations in town Now, aside from their robust three levels of historical galleries, the museum also holds an incredible collection of artifacts that showcase the accomplishments of many African Americans in contemporary times. From Louis Armstrong's trumpet to one of Whitney Houston's many AMA awards, the museum covers the many elements that make Black History Month a comprehensive celebration of accomplishment throughout history. And as an avid sports fan, I always stop to spend some time looking through the sports galleries, making note to see items that represent my hometown area of Cleveland, Ohio, including LeBron James's NBA shoes and Jim Brown's NFL jersey. But let's go back 75 years from this April and talk about Major League Baseball. Here's Bob Kendrick, president and CEO of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, discussing his museum's Changing Times exhibit.
7: Changing time looks at World War II. Here we had the irony of young black soldiers dying fighting the same racism in another country that we were being asked to accept here in the States. That led to the movement of integrating America's so-called national pastime. The sentiment was this, if they could die fighting for their country, they ought to be able to play baseball in this country. That led to Jackie Robinson being handpicked from the great Kansas City Monarchs. Again, Jackie plays here in 1945. At the end of the 45 season, signed his contract to play in the Dodgers organization. He would spend the 46th season in Montreal in the Dodgers farm system. And then of course, on April 15th, 1947, make that monumental walk on the field as a member of the Brooklyn Dodgers, forever changing the game of baseball, but more importantly, forever changing this country. There's no question that Jackie's breaking of the color barrier is one of the most significant events in American history. As a matter of fact, the museum makes the bold assertion that Robinson's breaking of the color barrier wasn't just a part of the Civil Rights Movement. It was the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement, 1947. This is well before those more noted civil rights occurrences. This is before Brown versus the Board of Education. This is before Rosa Parks' refusal to move to the back of the bus. As my dear friend the late great John Buck O'Neill was so poetically say, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was a sophomore at Morehouse when Robinson signed that contract. President Truman would not integrate the military until a year after Jackie. So for all intensive purposes, this is what started the ball of social progress rolling in our country.
1: In the clip, Mr. Kendrick discusses Jackie Robinson's background as a player for the Kansas City Monarchs in the then Negro Baseball Leagues in 1945. After moving up through the Brooklyn Dodgers farm system, Jackie Robinson became the first black athlete to play in a major league baseball competition on April 15, 1947. In our bell ringer entitled Jackie Robinson's Impact on the Civil Rights Movement, students reflect on Mr. Kendrick's assertion that the breaking of the color barrier in baseball was a catalyst for the beginning of the Civil Rights Movement, weaving together African-American history with sport.
4: Yeah, that's a terrific clip, Zach, and really the sort of program that's indicative of how rich C-SPAN's archives are with history that goes far beyond what many people typically associate with what we cover on our television networks. For our next clip, though, we're going to take a look at a trailblazing figure in American politics, and that's Shirley Chisholm. In 1965, she first served in the New York State Assembly before becoming the first black woman elected to Congress in 1968. And then in 1972, she became the first African-American person from any major political party to run for president, as well as the first Democratic Party woman of any race to run for president. So in this clip, we'll hear from Purdue University political science professor Nadia Brown, as she discusses some of Shirley Chisholm's accomplishments and her influence as a political pioneer.
0: So Shirley Chisholm was the first Black woman elected to Congress. She did so in 1968 from Brooklyn, New York. Um, Chisholm was a Black, uh, Black multi-ethnic, I'm saying a Black ethnic woman from Barbados, um, who, uh, Barbadian lineage, Bayesian lineage, excuse me, who um, went on to become the first Black woman to run for president under the Democratic Party. Charlene Mitchell was the first woman to run for president um, on um, an independent or green slate. But Shirley Chisholm is the first Black woman to run for president on a major party slate. She did not get far, but she leaves with her legacy of being one of the founding mothers of the Congressional Black Caucus, the National Organization of Women. And she had, you know, she lived her life advocating for minority communities, immigrant communities, children, strengthening education. And so, yeah, she was the first uh, first Black woman to um, win a seat in Congress and later becomes the first Black woman to run for president on a major party ticket.
2: As we continue to explore the many people who have and continue to have an impact and influence in the country from different sectors, I was reminded of one of my favorite poets whose work I wove into my teaching experiences, and that is Maya Angelou. Among her accomplishments, she was a poet, an artist, a civil rights activist, a speaker, and a performer. And in 2010, President Obama presented her with the country's highest civilian award that recognizes exceptional service, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Let's take a listen to a portion of that ceremony.
8: As a girl, Marguerite Ann Johnson endured trauma and abuse that actually led her to stop speaking. But as a performer and ultimately a writer, a poet, Maya Angelou found her voice. It's a voice that's spoken to millions, including my mother, which is why my sister is named Maya. By holding on, even amid cruelty and loss, and then expanding to a sense of compassion and ability to love by holding on to her humanity. She has inspired countless others who have known injustice and misfortune in their own lives. I won't try to say it better than Maya Angelou herself, who wrote that history, despite its wrenching pain, cannot be unlived and if faced with courage, need not be lived again. Lift up your eyes upon the day breaking for you. Give birth again to the dream.
2: As I searched through C-SPAN's archive and viewed videos of Maya Angelou, I came across her recitation of her poem, On the Pulse of Mourning, from President Clinton's 1993 inauguration, and I thought about an activity that I would do with students in an ELA class Using this primary source video, along with Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, which she recited at President Biden's inauguration in 2021, students could work in pairs or groups to analyze these pieces. Teachers can create a chart or then diagram, so students can take notes on what is unique to each poem and what is shared between the two. What ideas are found in each, the structure, symbolism or voice and imagery. After discussing the two selections... I think students can create a two-voice poem of their own using their notes to compare and contrast them and present their piece in class. We have programs of Angelo and Gorman reciting their poems so students can not only listen to the content, but evaluate the delivery as well. We'll link both of these primary source videos to our podcast page, but I love doing two voice poems in class, and I think this would just be a really neat connection to the past and the present.
1: Absolutely, Pam, and I always enjoyed using different varieties of texts in my classroom, but I never actually heard of the two voice poem until we just spoke, so that would definitely be one thing I would want to try in my own classroom. Um, but this Tuesday begins our collective annual celebration of the lives of so many African Americans. And from its earliest foundation with the work of Carter G. Woodson, Black History Month gives us all a chance to pause and to reflect on the accomplishments, successes, impacts, and legacies of African Americans. This week's episode explored just a small sampling of the many C-SPAN classroom resources that are available to you to use with your students all throughout Black History Month. From history to government to economics and to cultural contributions and everything in between, we encourage you to check out our entire collection of Black History Month resources.
4: Just as a final reminder, you can access all of the programs and teacher resources that we shared today on our podcast page, along with ideas for activities to use with your students throughout the month, and you'll find those all at cspan.org slash classroom. If you would like to connect with our team, please email us anytime at educate at c-span.org.
2: That's it for this week. Join us for our next episode as we share C-SPAN programs and classroom resources to recognize President's Day. Until then, thank you for joining us.